Well, today we're going to continue our uh, sermon series titled Kaleo. We've been saying that's the Greek word that means called. As we're looking through the book of 1 Peter, you know, the book of 1 Peter is full of calls that Peter discusses. He, it's the key word there. He talks about the various calls on our lives. And I hope that as we've been talking about the book of 1 Peter that you've been reading through it also with us because I know that uh, that short little truth-packed book will uh, bless your soul as you read it. Peter's got a lot to say and it's just a, a really good book. Two weeks ago, Pastor Steve explored the call of salvation. He talked about this plan that was designed by God before the foundation of the world. It's God's plan. He foreordained it. And it was a plan for lost and hopeless sinners like you and I to be able to know, love, and live for God. To know the Creator of the universe, the one who sits on the throne of all the heavens, who is the definition of all there is. The plan of salvation, God, God designed a, a way to break that wall between man and Himself. It's God's plan to reconcile humanity to Himself. And as we repent of our sin, and as we turn to Him, and as we begin to follow and believe in Him, He comes to live in us. And we can know God, the call of salvation. Then, then uh, last week, Pastor Steve continued uh, the discussion with the call to holiness. Once we've been transformed by the Holy Spirit, once our lives have been changed and we've been born again, then we are called to live holy, set-apart lives. Pastor Steve talked about the fact that we're called to holy intake, holy thinking, holy loving and holy living. And now today, this morning, we're going to continue that discussion about holiness in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12. Because Peter begins this discussion in chapter 1, and he continues the holiness idea into chapter 2. But in chapter 2, he talks specifically about who we are in Christ, who Christ has made us to be, so that we know who we are and we can live to glorify God because Peter, in no uncertain terms, makes it clear that we are to live in such a way that the world glorifies God because of us. The world will look at our lives as followers of Jesus Christ and give God the glory for it. Living for His glory means living our lives in such a way to exemplify His mercy and His power. His love and His grace. People in our sphere of influence, at our jobs or at our schools or in our neighborhoods, should see us and praise God because of us. I love the way John Piper puts it. He says that we should live our lives so that we make Jesus look like the treasure that He is. Making Jesus look like the treasure that He is. That's the call to glorify God this morning. Now, before we get to the verses, I want to just spend a few minutes considering Peter. I mean, since he wrote First Peter, it's kind of interesting to think about him. I don't know. Uh, I don't know about you, but 
sometimes I can find that I understand Peter and I can identify with him. And maybe you can too because here was, here was a guy, just a normal average guy. There was nothing special about Peter. He wasn't some great orator, wasn't some great leader. He was just a regular guy running a small fishing business trying to feed his family. And then along comes Jesus. And Jesus walks up and says, Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'm sure Peter thought, what? What are you talking about? Fishers of what? That doesn't even sound right. I'm sure he didn't understand what the call Jesus gave him was all about. He didn't understand the call of God on his life. Peter didn't understand who God had made him to be. And I'm sure he didn't know what Jesus meant by fishers of men. But there was something about Jesus that was so compelling that he laid his nets down and he followed Jesus. Has Jesus spoken to your life this morning? At some point you didn't know what you were getting into, but there was something compelling about Jesus Christ that just caused you to lay yourself aside and follow Him? Well, that was Peter. And when I think about Peter, you know, Peter lived with Jesus for three years and Jesus taught him. And Peter witnessed amazing miracles. I mean, it was Peter who got out of the boat and walked on the water with Jesus. I mean, think about that. Peter was, was with Jesus in the boat another time when the storm was raging and Jesus said, Peace be still, and the storm calmed. It was Peter who was with Jesus and saw Him on the Mount Transfiguration. Jesus transfigured before Him. What was inside came out, and there stood Moses and Elijah, and Peter audibly heard the words of God say, This is my Son. Peter heard God's voice. That was Peter. I'm sure he, he had moments of shock and awe when he saw Jesus raise people from the dead at least on three occasions. Peter clearly had all the evidence he needed to know that Jesus Christ was the, not only the Messiah, but God Himself. And it was against that mountain of evidence that Peter still had doubt. Peter still had doubts and doubts. And I'm not sure that Peter necessarily doubted Jesus as much as he doubted himself. Because I don't think Peter really understood who he was, who God had called him to be, and how he was to live that out, what it really meant. Because, you know, on the day of the trial, after all those miracles and things, on the day of Jesus' trial, Peter denied Jesus. And I'm pretty sure that <clears throat> he didn't understand or necessarily believe that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. Because, I mean, think about it. If he believed Jesus was going to come back from the dead of his own power... Don't you think Peter would have been at the grave that morning waiting for it to happen? I mean, what, what an awesome thing. You know, you camp out at the tomb. You know, you sing some songs. You have a fish fry. You know, just have a little party waiting for the, the most uh, transforming of, uh, moment in all of human history, the turning point of human history, Jesus Christ raising from the dead. But Peter was hiding somewhere afraid. I'm sure there was some guilt involved by, from denying Jesus, but he was still not there at the tomb. And then at one point, not sure what else to do, Peter went back to fishing. He said to the guys, you know, hey, it's been a great ride. It's fun while it lasted, but I'm going back to what I know. 
I mean, the life of fishing probably wasn't as exciting and interesting as being with Jesus, but it was familiar to him. It was familiar territory. And for me, sometimes I can identify with Peter in that way. Because sometimes I take my foot off the gas pedal of my spiritual life. Sometimes I find myself going back to some of my old patterns and old ways of thinking and old lives. Do you find yourself like that sometimes? Letting up and letting the, the things that you used to think and believe kind of creep in or, the, or some worries or fears or doubts that you've been called out of, but you kind of go back to them? kind of familiar to you? Well, I identify with Peter in that way because, you know, Peter didn't understand this call to salvation and he didn't understand the call to live a holy and victorious life. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came into him, I think Peter began to understand. He embraced the truth and he became the leader of a movement not just a denomination or not just a, an organization or not just a set of practices, but Peter became the leader of a movement started by Jesus Christ, given to the apostles, that has changed the world since. And you and I are products of Peter understanding who he is in Christ because that movement has transformed our lives, many of our lives here today. Peter realized that Jesus called him to a glorious purpose. He realized that Peter called him to that God called him to live a life bigger than himself and to live a life most importantly for God's glory. He's here for God's glory. And if you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him and repented of your sins and turned from your ways and you're following him, I'm talking to you today. I'm not talking to your wife or to your husband or to your kids or to your mom and dad or to your brother. I'm talking to you. When I talk to you, I'm talking to me. Because this week, I, I was at a conference this week and I, I just had to deal with some things in my own heart, in my own mind about this. This week, God reminded me of who I am in Him. If you pull your study guide out of the worship folder there, you'll see right at the top, the point I want you to remember if you remember nothing else about what I say today. When you leave here today, I want you to remember this. That if you know who God says you are, then you can be who God made you to be. To live for His glory as God calls you to live. If you know who God says you are, then you can be who God made you to be. To live for His glory as God calls you to live. You know, sometimes we sing that song, uh, I know who I am. Remember that song? Sometimes when we sing that song, I think, do I really know who I am? Am I really singing those words because I know who I am in Christ? Well, I hope when you leave here this morning, you're going to know who you are in Christ and, you're going to, and it's going to motivate you to live for God's glory. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at this, this passage in two sections. We're going to go uh, verses 4 to 8. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. We'll stop right there. Peter begins with verse 4 with these words, As you come to Him. Now, the Greek word for come there doesn't mean as you come and then go, but it means as you come and remain, as you come and stay. He is saying, come to Jesus, stay with Jesus, and remain in intimate fellowship with Jesus. This is a lifelong process. It's not something we just do one time and it's done. Check that off my list. But this is a daily coming to Jesus Christ. This is spending time with Him every day. This is hearing His heart as you engage in His Word. Listening to His voice as you whisper prayers to Him in those quiet times of your life. This is a daily walking with Jesus Christ. That's what He's talking about here. He says, as you come and daily walk with Jesus Christ... It's what you do every day. He says you're coming to the living stone. He calls Jesus the living stone because the truth is Jesus is alive. Amen? We're not following some guy who's dead in a tomb somewhere. We're following a Savior, a Lord that sits on the throne of heaven alive. Jesus is the living stone. He's the living stone. Our lives are our identity, our focus begins and ends in constant fellowship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. And so in these, in these verses, he's talking about stones and temples and things, and Peter is, is really kind of calling to mind the imagery of the temple, the temple that was in the Old Testament times that was still standing, basically, when Peter wrote these words. And from God's perspective, the temple was the place where God dwells. The temple was the place where you went to worship God, to, li to uh, praise God and extol His goodness and His glory. That was where the temple was. That's where God was, was the temple. And so the temple imagery that Peter alludes to here, you know, for us, we're, we're kind of so far removed from it, it might not seem so significant to us. But in, in Peter's day, the people that read this letter, they could still see the building. And they could remember when they were following Jew Judaism, that they would go and take their sacrifices there and they would observe and worship God in that physical building. They, it's still called to mind those remembrances of, of what occurred there and what the symbolism was. And so it really meant something to them and it reminded them of who they were in Christ. For us, it's a little bit uh, not as clear. And I, I just want to make a couple comments about the temple before we move on. Because the temple was the centerpiece of worship. It was the one place on earth where the very presence of God had resided. Worshippers would bring their sacrifices to the priest, and then the priest would take that sacrifice and offer it to God on their behalf. And so the temple was a holy place. 
was holy because God was there. The priests were holy. The sacrifices were holy. And these were all set apart in obedience to the word that God had given Moses some 1,500 years earlier than Peter's day. And the temple was dedicated to the glory of God, to His mercy and His greatness and His awesome power. And the temple was many things, but I think there were three things that the temple, the three ideas that the temple conveyed. The first thing, the temple was the symbol of God. It displayed the greatness of God. You know, when you were living in that day, you could look at that building. You could walk down the street and see that building sitting up on the hill, and you could look at that temple, and you could remember God's greatness. That magnificent structure was a symbol of a magnificent God. So it was a physical reminder of who God was, the temple of God. The temple also represented the salvation given by God because it displayed the way to God. And that time, before Jesus Christ, the sacrificial system that centered at the temple was really the only access you had to God. It was the only way to gain uh, God's favor, uh, to live in relationship with Him. You had to go to the temple and take your sacrifices. And it was the way to gain favor with God on a personal and a national level. So in that sense, it was the vehicle of salvation given by God in that time. And the temple was also the seal of God because it displayed the faithfulness of God. You know, throughout the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, over and over again, God promised obedience if you promised blessing for obedience and promised judgment for disobedience. And the temple was the seal of, of, of that in that when people went to the temple, they were saying, God's word is true. God is going to do what he said he's going to do. I'm going to obey God to access that blessing in my life and to access God because God's word is true. The temple was the seal of God. And so in these verses, Peter's imagery that he's alluding to of the temple, he draws upon that and he calls um, uh, us the spiritual temple. We are living stones in the spiritual temple. Peter's imagery of the spiritual temple draws upon that physical, but we know that the spiritual temple that he's talking about is far better than that system of dead sacrifices and law-keeping because the spiritual temple is built upon Jesus Christ. It's dedicated for His glory and for His purposes, and it is the true symbol of God. You can look to Jesus and you can see God. You can look to Jesus and know that's the salvation given by God. And you can look to Jesus and know that in His resurrection from the dead and His in heaven now that Paul says, we know that we will be raised and we will be in heaven. Jesus is the seal of our salvation. Jesus is the true temple. And He's the cornerstone of the temple. And we are living stones in the temple as well as priests in the temple. This imagery is just rich with truth. Peter calls Jesus the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him. And I find it interesting, the false religious leaders of that day and the people of that day and the Roman pagans of that day, they examined the messianic credentials of Jesus Christ. Jesus presented Himself to them and with all of the contempt that could be formed in the heart of a human being, they rejected Jesus Christ. 
It says, the builders rejected Him, but God. Don't you love that phrase, but God? I don't know what's going on in your life today. I don't know what what trouble you're having, what circumstances might be beating you down. Maybe things are going great, but God. I might have lost my job and I can't find one, but God. The doctor may have given me a diagnosis of some uh, very serious illness, but God. My family might be breaking up for varieties of reasons, but God. The builders rejected Jesus Christ, but God chose Him to be the cornerstone, the precious stone. Not only is Jesus a living stone, but He's the precious cornerstone because it's upon Jesus the foundation stone that the spiritual temple is built. And that image of a cornerstone is, is really interesting because I don't know if you're, if you're aware of it, but in building of that time, the cornerstone was always the first stone laid. The cornerstone had to be square and it had to be level. Why? Because they would lay that cornerstone and then the walls that they would build would go off of that cornerstone. And so they had, it had to be square so that the walls would be 90 degrees. It had to be level so that the stones would be level. The cornerstone was the most important stone in the building. And a, and a stonemason would go to the quarry and he would, he would look at all various types of stones and he would reject this one and reject that one and he would find the perfect stone. And then he would work it and he would chisel it and he would shape it to be the stone that the, the, the whole building would rest upon. But Peter says that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of that spiritual temple. The builders of that day rejected Jesus, but God went to the quarry and selected Jesus Christ and through His life and His death and His burial and His resurrection shaped Him to be the perfect stone upon which our foundation is built. Everything that we are begins and ends with Jesus Christ. Jesus, that spiritual temple, is built on Him. And our lives, our lives are built on Him. Quoting from three different Old Testament passages, Peter's trying to get this point across. And he describes Jesus as the chosen living stone the precious cornerstone, and the stone that men stumble over. Jesus' position was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Before God ever created any one of us, He had this plan in mind. And Peter says that concept, Jesus Christ, is going to be the idea that unbelievers are going to stumble over. They're not going to accept it and they're going to stumble. Now Peter also talks about us in relationship to Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 5, he gives two specific ideas about you and I. He says, first of all, that we're living stones. We are so closely identified and united with Jesus that the very life that's in Him is the life that's in you. As you sit there right now, you are alive in Jesus Christ if you're a follower of Him. And not only are we living stones, but the, but the vision in Peter's mind was so, was so um, uh, large that he couldn't just confine us to living stones. He also said, you're a holy priest serving God in the temple. What was the purpose of the priest? The priest was the one who represented God to men. He was the connection between God and men. You would take your sacrifice to him and he would offer it to God on your behalf. Peter says, you and I are part of the holy priesthood. You are a priest of God representing God to a lost and dying world, to men on this earth. That's who you are. 
And it's interesting, there are some characteristics, some similarities between us as priests and the priest in the Old Testament. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but I just want to give them to you. Some characteristics, some similarities between us and priests. Number one, you've been selected by God. As God selected the priest in, in Israel, He set apart the tribe of Levi to be the priest. He has selected you. He's chosen you. You've been chosen by God. Think about that. God has selected you. You are cleansed of your sins by God. He has fellowship with you. In order to be a priest, you need to be clean. And through the work of the Holy Spirit in you, you are cleansed of your sins so that you can enter into the presence of God as a priest. You are clothed, anointed, and prepared for service by God. He has filled you and skilled you through the Holy Spirit. Everything you need to be, everything you need to overcome, Everything you need to worship God and to proclaim His name and to live for His glory is already in you because He is in you. And He through you will be all that you need. There are some things we need to know as priests. We are to honor and know His Word that you might be free. What did Jesus say? He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall... Yeah. We need, to know and, we need to know and honor the Word of God so that we can be free, free from the uh, bondage of sin, free from the things that this world would try to, to um, tie us up with. And we need to know and honor the Word of God so that we can tell others. It's our job to be telling everyone around us about Jesus Christ. You are to live in relationship with Him that you might be whole. It's through His Word we have freedom, but then it's through that intimate relationship with Him that we have wholeness. All of the bitterness, all of the hurt, all of the worry, all of the pain, all of the things that are in your life, worry, fear, doubts, all of those things that just shatter you and fracture your emotions and your spirit can be made whole through an intimate relationship with the loving Lord. And you are a messenger of God that you might impact the world. As a representative of God, as a priest of God, you are a messenger of God, given a holy commission to carry God's message to the world. Now that's who you are. What God says about you is life-changing. Peter says, Believer, you are holy, a holy priest before God. Live like it. Here's the point. If you know who God says you are, then you can be who God called you to be to live for His glory as God calls you to live. No matter what you believe about yourself, no matter the, 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 the struggles you have in your own mind about yourself and about who you are in Christ, and maybe you, you think you know, God's got some kind of scorekeeping and you're living by a score sheet. You know, I did two bad things today. I've got to do two good things tomorrow. No matter what you think, no matter what your circumstances are, if you're a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ, this is who God says you are. You're specially chosen by Him. You're a priest anointed and commissioned by Jesus. And now it gets even better. 1 Peter 2, 9-12, he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of His darkness and into His wonderful light. We sang that song a few minutes ago. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Peter here lists six descriptors that all have their imagery in God's relationship with Israel. But for us, it begins and ends with Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, these descriptors are true of all who believe in Him. So that would be you and I. And remember, this is God's idea. It's not your idea or my idea. It's God's idea. This was His plan. It's not based on my skill or your skill, our abilities, but it's based on what He says about us. First, He says, you are a chosen person. The Father selected you and gave you a special status and a specific plan. You are a planned living stone in the spiritual temple. Do you know it's not an accident that you're here? God thought of you and designed you and created you in His intent before the world began. He knew you were going to be here. And He chose you specifically. It was His choice to make. And He chose you. Think about that. If we really grasp the fullness of that and really understood the, 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 what He has chosen us out of and what it means to be redeemed, that would just drive us to our knees. It should motivate us every day to want to love Him with all our heart. Number two, you are a royal priest. We've already talked about the, the priest idea, but the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are in such close fellowship with God that it's priestly in nature. Listen, you don't have to stand outside the temple anymore and give your sacrifice to somebody else to, to come to God for you. You can go to the very throne room of God. We have, because the Holy Spirit is in us and we're clean, we can go before the throne of God on our own behalf. It's priestly in nature. What an awesome privilege that is. Number three, you're a holy citizen of a holy nation. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, and because He is holy, you are holy. Some days you ever have thoughts that might be unholy? You ever think unholy thoughts? You ever find yourself saying unholy words or doing unholy deeds? I do. You know what's interesting is it's not about me, it's about Him. It's not about you, it's about Him. You are holy because the Holy Spirit lives in you. The holiness that you are and that you have is because of Him. We sang those words a few minutes ago, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I was thinking as we, as we were singing that, that, that this place was holy. We were standing on holy ground. You could feel the Spirit of God just manifesting Himself in this room. And I thought, we're on holy ground. But you know what the truth is? Wherever you go, that's holy ground. Because you're holy. Because the Holy Spirit, God Himself, lives in you. And so when I'm going with that in mind, it should change maybe where I go. It should change maybe how I think. You are a person that belongs to God. You are His treasure. You have value. You are cherished by Him. You know, Jesus cares, you, cares about you and thinks about you and He treasures you. 
You know, life might be beating you up right now and you might just feel like there's no hope. But, Jesus, but you belong to Jesus Christ. And He takes care of His own stuff. He treasures you. He loves you. I like this next one. You are part of a family. We're part of a family. At one time, we were on the outside looking in. We were running up and down the street like a, like a street orphan with no place to go, no home. But you know what? Now you live in God's house. You're part of a family. You have brothers and sisters in this room right now that will stand beside you and support you. And many of you have felt that support lately from brothers and sisters caring for you. But what's even more important is you got Jesus. He's your big brother. Amen. That's worth an applause right there. The devil might be beating you up. The bully is coming to kick you around. And there's nobody to take your part. But guess what? you got Jesus and He's got your back. He's bigger than anything the enemy could throw at you. You're part of a family. And finally, you have received mercy. God isn't giving us what we deserve. Praise God we're not getting justice. I praise God for mercy. One time, our every thought, our every deed, our every action, everything we were about was in rebellion to God. And we, our, only, our only hope was eternal judgment, eternal punishment. But God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us mercy. These six things that Peter says are true of you, whether you believe it, think about it, feel like it. They're true. That's who you are. And so in this passage, Peter takes a lot of time here convincing us of who we are in Christ because if you know who you are, you can be who God calls you to be to live for God's glory as God calls you to live. The temple of God was built for His glory. You are now a living stone in the temple. You are the temple of God. You are to live for His glory, to make Him look like the treasure that He is. And the only way you can do that is if you know who you are in Christ and know what that means. If we don't believe these truths and if we don't know that they're true, then we'll live far below the standard God calls us to live. And we're going to lose that battle that we're fighting every day. You know, Peter says, don't let the passions of the flesh war against your soul. You realize that we're in a three-front war? As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're fighting a three-front battle. First, you're fighting a world system that tells you every day in every way that it's all about you, that it's about what you own, what you have, what you are, what you believe, that life is about your comfort and your pleasure. And that is so far from the truth because it's not about us. It's about Him. And so we fight those images and those thoughts and those, those tendencies every day. That's one war. The other war I'm fighting is, is this flesh, this, this guy I'm dragging around with me. He still wants to go back and do that stuff. He wants to live for his own satisfaction. He wants to satisfy himself. And then finally, the enemy, that third front, the enemy is coming to you and constantly tempting you and telling you, you know, forget that Jesus stuff. Do this. It'll make you happy. Believe this. Jesus doesn't care about you. Hey, listen, you're not working. You don't have an income. Guess what? God's forgotten all about you. You've got to be worried. Life is going to fall apart. 
We're fighting that war constantly. And if we don't realize and understand who we are, we're going to give in. And we're going to lose that battle from time to time. And our lives then won't reflect the glory of God. Because the world will look at us and they will see us in worry and fear and and being destroyed by the things around us. And they'll say, you know, that's no different than I am. Why would I want to be a believer? Why would I want to follow God? How could I give God glory if I have to live like that? Peter says, believers, keep in mind, you don't belong in this world. You're an alien and a stranger in this world. An alien. You've come from another planet. You're from another place. This world is strange. Your country is in heaven. You are a citizen of a holy nation. He says, live like aliens and strangers. Don't get comfortable here. Don't don't believe what the world says, that it's all about status and power and wealth. Hold on loosely to this world because it's not your home. You're a citizen of heaven. Life is not about you, but it's about God. Living for His glory. Peter says we're on earth for two reasons. He says, live like a stranger in this world so that unbelievers, pagans, will look at our lives and give God the glory for it. They'll say, man, there is something different about that guy. What, what in the world is wrong with him? He must be, he follows Jesus. They'll give God the glory because they'll look at you. And then he says that, we, that they should not only praise God because of our life, but, they, but we should know who we are so that we can declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into light. The word he uses here for declare the praises is, is a word that it, that's used nowhere else in the Old, uh, New Testament. And it means to tell something not otherwise known. The world has no clue who Jesus is. And we need to tell them. So he says, you're here so that people will look at you and give God glory and so that you can tell them about Jesus, something they'd never heard before. You know, as I've been thinking about these, these verses and this passage, I, I've been thinking about where we are in the world today because it's, it's really easy to see the troubling things coming on the world. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see the looming economic problems in the world and the rising unemployment and the, and the war that's, that's breaking out all over and the, and the terrorism and just all, it just, something just doesn't feel right in this world anymore. It's easy to see that. And I've been talking to a lot of people, some of you right here in this room, who have gone through circumstances of late because of the things coming on the world that is, that is shaking your faith, it's testing your faith. You know, you feel, you feel like maybe God doesn't care and you're full of worry and full of doubt because maybe, maybe you've lost your job or maybe your home is breaking up or whatever. And you're being filled with all these fears and doubts and worries. But I challenge you today to believe the truth. Know who God says you are. Know who God made you to be. Don't give in to those fears. That testing of your faith is to help you trust in God and, and understand that He's in control. Live like the person God called you to be. God specifically designed you. He planned you. He created you. And He knows exactly what you're going through just right now. He knows. It's not a surprise to Him. So don't give up. Hold on. 
realize that the power of this world and the power of the enemy and, the, and, and this flesh has no power over you. That's not who you are. Fear can't overcome you. Circumstances can't destroy you. Temptations can't defeat you because you are a holy child of God chosen by Him living in His house. You were created to be with Jesus. We were created to be with Jesus. And we were created to make Jesus Christ look like the treasure that He is. Because if I know who God says I am, then I can be who God made me to be. And I can live for His glory as God calls me to live. As I close this morning, I want to revisit Peter for just a minute. Because you remember I was, I was bashing on him before, talking about how he didn't believe God and all those kinds of things. But then he came to the place where he understood the truth and he began to live the way God called him to live. And I want to look very quickly in Acts chapter 4. It's not in your notes. I'll just read it to you. But, but just to set this up, um, the day before these verses, Peter and John had gone to the temple. And there was a lame man sitting outside the temple. And they walked up to him and, and Peter looked at him and said, you know, I don't have any money to give you. But what I do have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man stood to his feet and began walking and leaping and praising God. Well, the rulers and the religious guys of that day were kind of upset about that. They were upset that these two guys were going around preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they were upset that they were going around healing. And so they arrested Peter and John. So we'll pick up the story here in uh, Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you well. Wow, talk about a change. Here's, here's the guy that was hiding in his room afraid, going back fishing and all those things, and not only does he, is he willing to proclaim Jesus Christ, but to point his finger in the face of the rulers and say, you guys crucified Him, but God raised Him from the dead. That's boldness. That's the power of God. Peter understood who he was. He understood who God made him to be. And he was living for the glory that God called him to live for. So he continues. He says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Sound kind of familiar? He's preaching the sermon here and then he writes it later on, okay? He says, There is no salvation in no one else for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Now, this is my favorite. This is my life verse. One of my life verses. You, can write, you need to write this down, Acts 4.13, and remember this. Because it says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They recognized they had been with Jesus. What it says there, when they perceived John, Peter and John were uneducated, the word uneducated means ignorant. 
Okay? And then common men, the word that is translated common here is the word idiotus. Yeah, you get it. He said, these guys are ignorant idiots. And they marveled. Why? Because they've been with Jesus. I know that often I'm an ignorant idiot, but I want to be with Jesus. And then this final verse, this is the point. It says, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Think about that. They couldn't, they couldn't deny that these guys had some kind of power. They couldn't deny that what these guys were saying was true because standing right there beside them was the guy they knew had been lame and now he was healed. Couldn't argue with that. They had to let him go. My question for you this morning is, are you living to make Jesus' name great? And are you living so that the world can look at your life and have nothing to say in opposition. If you know who you are, then you'll know who God has made you to be. And you'll know that He's called you to live for His glory. Living for the glory of God. I know there's lots of issues in our lives. Many of us in here today are hurting for varieties of things. And sometimes you don't feel holy, and sometimes you don't feel like living for the glory of God, and sometimes things just don't seem to be working out right. But, but know who you are and live for His glory. I'm going to ask the team to come and, and lead us in a song of reflection right now as we think about these words. But if you're here this morning and you're struggling with who you are in Christ, it's something that you're struggling with. Or you're here this morning and there are circumstances in your life that are pressing in, that are causing you to doubt or to fear or to have worry or concern. Maybe it's a job, the loss of a job. Maybe it's a breakup of a marriage. Maybe it's um, maybe the doctor has given you a diagnosis of some illness that you have. Maybe, maybe your children are rebellion or, or whatever. If there are things in your life that are pressing against you right now and you're struggling to know who God called you to be, this morning I want us to spend some time praying for one another like we've been the past few weeks. So if you would like someone to pray with you about the things going on in your life right now, I'd, I'd like you to just stand up right where you are this morning, wherever you are. Yes. Just stand up. If, if there are people standing around you, I'd like you to just gather around them and pray for them. Right now. Just begin gathering around and pray. And while we're singing then, I'd like all of us to just stand together. If there's someone standing around you that needs prayer, lay your hand on them and pray for them. And then as we sing this song, the words of this song are so...